hear ye, hear ye. My name is Ursula Sojus, and I am here with Robin Sojus. Robin, state your claim before the people. Hello, Justice Riders. I am so happy to bring you this podcast in a series called Black Sugar, Not So Sweet. I always like to start with the African proverb. Until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. So this podcast today is going to shed some light on the discovery that happened here in Sugarland, Texas. So I want to start with this little known fact, although it wasn't known to me. So I just want to make it known to you. It is written that 70, 70 percent of the 12 million Africans stolen from Africa, they were sent to work on a sugar plantation. Ursula Soldiers, what do you think about that? Honestly, I thought most of the enslaved people were brought here to work on cotton or tobacco plantations, but it's not until recent discoveries of I'm discovering that in fact, cotton Cultivation began in the Moorish community, meaning Moors of Morocco and other diaspora parts of this world. So I can't wait to hear for the rest of what you're going to say. Yes. And so, you know, I read this article in the New York Times that came out in the year 2018, the same year that they discovered those 95 African-Americans in a, a unearthed Cemetery in Sugarland, and the title of the article was A Fate Worse Than Slavery. And it said that bodies of sugarcane workers recently discovered in Texas reveal, reveal gruesome details about the convict leasing system. This article was written by Mr. Brent Staples, and he's a member of the editorial board, so I know he knows what the truth is. So, Justice Riders, when you come to Sugarland, there are two cemeteries here. One is unmarked and has to remain of the 95 African Americans known as the Sugarland 95. The other one is only a few hundred feet away and it's called the Imperial Prison Farm Cemetery. That cemetery is owned by the city of Sugarland, and there are 31 marked graves of inmates and guards dating back to 1912. Now, that first one that has the remains of the 95 African Americans, that land is owned by Fort Bend ISD, and ISD stands for Independent School District. And right now, there still isn't a marker to let you know that there's 95 African-Americans there. There's still no benches. There's still no fountains. There's still no trees. And there's still no way to honor them. And pretty soon, I'm going to have to go to Wayfair, and I'm going to buy a couple benches and a, a, a fountain to put it there. But you know, not I don't the really Wayfair. Wayfair. I love Wayfair. <laughs> we got to do what we got to do. <laughs> That's the truth. Because see, to me, it should take this long. No. So it's been five years, mm. and they still don't have any type of respectful way to let the public know that these 95 people lost their lives as a result of throwing that sugar for the state of Texas. So the blood-drenched history that gave the city of Sugarland its name 
showed its face earlier this year because, and when I say this year, I'm talking about 2018, because this uh, construction crew discovered the remains. And, and, and this goes back to like the year, like 1875, all the way up to like 1911. The 95 people, some of them were born into slavery because as you know, the Emancipation Proclamation was 1863 uh, oh, and then the 13th Amendment to the Constitution was 1865. But some of the people were actually born after 1865. So they were born as free people. However, when they removed some of those caskets from the ground, there was still chains on some of the bones, which just showed that that convict leasing system was worse than slavery. Back then, the Southerners <clears throat> sought to replace slave labor by jailing African Americans on trumped up charges and turning them over to, among others, sugar cane, sugar cane plantation in the region <clears throat> once known as the Sugar Bowl of Texas. So a bitter debate erupted in Sugarland, which is a fast-growing suburb southwest of Houston. And these Sugarland officials who wanted to, to remove the remains to that nearby cemetery that I told you about that was owned by the city of Sugarland, they were at odds with members of the community because the people who cared about the, the ancestors, they wanted them to be memorialized right where they were discovered because they considered the land sacred land. However, Fort Ben ISD, like I said, they're a school district, and they were more interested in building that school than to preserve the honor and the history of the African-American people. And like I said, this is 2023 and there's still no memorialization of those people. So listen to this, Justice Riders. There was a historian by the name of David Eltis, and he was a co-author of the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database. And he's the one who estimated that at least 70% of the 12 million or so captives who left Africa for the Americas on slave ships were destined for sugar colonies. Most sugar was cultivated in the Caribbean and South America. And that's why when you go to Jamaica and Barbados and other Caribbean islands, you see primarily people of a dark complexion like the African-American people of the United States. And that's not by accident. They were actually oh, took, stolen from Africa and actually brought over to the Caribbean because that land was fertile and it, they could easily grow that sugar cane there. But listen to this, Justice Riders. In addition to the Caribbean and South America, the Southern colonies of British America and in the United States, states like Florida, Louisiana, and Texas, they were considered the sugar states because <clears throat> you had the other states that had all the cotton and the tobacco, like North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina. But down here, because we're right next to water, Florida's right on the coast, 
Louisiana on the Gulf from Mexico, Texas as well. And so they all decided that they was going to make money by entering the brutal cash crop, what they call sweepstake. You know, there are photos of African-American workers on carts filled with sugar cane on the plantation in Louisiana. And guess where Ursula soldiers? These photos can be found in the Library of Congress. I, I really, truly enjoy the Library of Congress. In fact, that would be one of my dream vacations and I might would have to go by myself because most of my time will actually be spent in the Library of Congress. <laughs> I was online one day and I actually found a real live recording of some gentlemen singing their song, you know, the songs that they used to sing while they were, you know, uh, doing the, whenever they were doing that harsh labor, they had songs. Oh, and really? I actually found a live recording and hopefully one day for fair use purposes, <laughs> that'll actually be on one of the podcasts soon to come. Oh, but uh, yeah, I, I really want to go to the Library of Congress one day. Well, I tell you, that would be so wonderful because guess what else? The most well-known portrait of the Louisiana sugar country comes from a man by the name of Solomon Northrop. He was a free black New Yorker, but he was famously kidnapped into slavery in 1841 and leased out by his master to work on plantations. Say what? Now that happened to a lot of them. This is just one story we're hearing of, right? This is one story we're hearing of, but they turned this story into a movie mm -hmm. that won Best Picture mm -hmm. called 12 Years a Slave. Mm -hmm. Northrop recounted the hectic and barbaric scene that unfolded during harvest season when the slave people were pushed around the clock mm -hmm. to gather and process the highly perishable sugar cane before everybody. See, that was different than cotton and tobacco because cotton is a solid, tobacco is a solid. But see, sugar cane... That's a liquid because it's that juice mm -hmm. that comes up from the bottom of that sugar cane. And they had to work around the clock to make sure they process it before it rotted. And he wrote, the hens, the hens are not allowed to sit down long enough to even eat their dinners. Carts were filled with corn cakes cooked at the kitchen and driven into the field at noon. The cake was distributed by the drivers and it had to be eaten with the least possible delay because time was of the essence. The harvesters worked relentlessly in blistering heat like down here in Sugarland, Texas, hacking down 10, 12, 15-foot sugarcane with machete-like knives and transporting it to the plantation mill just like happened here, right off of Highway 90, to be processed until they pass out from what appeared to be heat stroke. You know, several of the Sugarland 95 died from heat stroke. And then Northrop tells us they were dragged into the shade, doused with buckets of water, and ordered back into their place to continue to harvest that cane. Slaves in Louisiana sugarcane world lived with the former slaves and civil rights activist Frederick Douglass termed a life of living death. The average lifespan of a mill hen was said to be only seven years 
a message that circulated widely among enslaved people who fear being sold into bondage and sugar fields. I'm telling you, Justice Riders, all this time, I thought that the worst was working out there in a cotton plantation. I never really heard about the brutal nature of working in a sugar plantation. And that is where the sugar land got their name from because this area was known as the Sugar Bowl of the United States of America, not just Texas. And so I just have to tell you this, Justice Riders. If you come to Sugarland today, there is this Imperial Chart House. It is still on Highway 90. And this is where the cane was pressed into juice that was then heated and crystallized into the coveted sweeteners. And you know what? This writer by the name of, of Adam Hodgechild, he described this as a satanic ring. A satanic ring? What? Yes, Ursula. The African-American men and women were scolded constantly and found themselves unable to shed that sticky, burning substance that clung to their skin. I bet it burned. It burned so much so because you had to have that heat up so high because you're taking this liquid substance that's coming from the sugarcane plant and you are boiling it so it can thicken so that you can turn it into either molasses or use it to make rum or eventually crystallize it so it could turn into granulated sugar. And that's so sad because these hardworking African-American people were worked to death. And you know how when you're in the heat, how I make it nauseous. So can you imagine you got all these different smells of this molasses and you're in the heat in your whole body. You probably didn't eat. And if you did, you was forced to scarf it down. I just couldn't even imagine. And the heat, because you know, right now, it is the month of July, the year 2023. And every day, the temperature is about 102 degrees. And with the heat index, it feels like 115 degrees, let alone the UV, which is the ultraviolet uh, rays. Over 11, you can burn your skin within 10 minutes. You can imagine being out there working at least 14, if not more, hours a day. So they fed the cane stalks into this mechanical rollers that pressed the stalks into juice. Many of them, when I say many of them, I'm talking about the African-American men and women, lost their hands or were pulled into the rollers and dismembered. This outcome was so common that they were often stationed nearby with a man who had a sword. And his whole purpose was to sever the African-American person's arm before the person could be pulled into their death into the rollers. The death rate on such sugar plantations were compounded by malnutrition and disease and were so absolutely high that the rank of the enslaved needed constant replenishment. And it is said when they leave them, if one die, get another. 
because they didn't care that the hands would go to the bowler. They didn't care that the man's there cutting off the hand so that the whole body, because you know what? The whole goal was for that machine not to go down. That's it wasn't crazy. like they care about that person's body. Oh. They just didn't want too many parts going into the role. Oh, that's barbaric. That is definitely satanic. Yes. And I just have to tell you this, Justice Riders. In the state of Texas, their whole goal was profitability because they depended on the enslaved labor as well as the convict leasing labor. So Justice Riders... It's, you know, you just have to see now where we're at, where we're trying to elevate the whole atrocity of convict leasing because convict leasing started mass incarceration and that loophole in the 13th Amendment to the Constitution is still there. And so when you look at the Sugarland 95, the youngest one was 16 years old. Seriously, what did he do to justify putting him out in the sun to work for free and then dying within months of being out there? Yeah, you're right. And I just can't get over, you know, just literally visualizing and imagining how hot it could have been for that young man. Because like you say, we're under a heat advisory right now. And in fact, when I went to um, the uh, genealogy library the other day, or actually a few weeks back and, and just tried to do some more research on this particular young man, you know, it was pointed out where you might not find much because he was only 16 and he mm. wasn't married, you know, he didn't have no children. So that's one of the ways that you can try to find these people, but he didn't have much. So it he would be difficult to find. That is so true. And, you know, many of the Sugar Land 95 that is in that 535-page report that Fort Ben ISD has on their website, they do tell you about the lives of, of several of them, and some were married, and some were from New York and Georgia and Tennessee. So, Justice Riders, it's so important for you and everybody who's listening to this podcast, please take action and write to your congressperson Please tell them that they have to close that loophole in the Constitution because slavery still exists. And regarding the city of Sugarland, they continue to keep a deliberate distance from this history. They right now, Fort Bend County is listed as like one of the best places to live in the entire country. And it is. I live here. Please. I love the neighborhood. I love that the people is very diverse, but we cannot forget who built this city, who built the entire Fort Bend County, and who built the state of Texas. So I just want to publicly thank Mr. Brett Stables because he was the one who wrote this article in the New York Times. So thank you so much. And, and Justice Riders, I just want to thank you for taking the time out today to listen to our podcast as always like robin said we appreciate you guys for listening to another hot drop in black history catch you next time